Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. My name is Gene. I am one of the preachers here at Grace, and it's so good to see you. We have a number of farmers in this church, right? Have you ever planted something and it totally didn't turn out the way you intended? Even if you're not a farmer, what if you planted something and it just totally went awry? I was in kindergarten and I brought a strawberry plant home and we planted it and it just totally overtook the rest of the garden and it was it was not a good move, not what we intended um, that the strawberry plant took over. The Lord plants things too and this morning we're going to talk about the Lord's vineyard and how the vineyard didn't turn out the way he intended. So this passage in Isaiah, it will be darker this morning. You likely won't leave feeling chipper and joyful this morning. More so probably sobered over sin and aware of your deep need for Jesus and in, in awe of Jesus more deeply this morning. We'll see this morning that Yahweh's judgment, it brings destruction even on his own people when they despise his word. For anyone who's new or visiting with us this morning, welcome. We're very glad you're here. We're in a a book series on Isaiah. And uh, our main theme that we want to trumpet during this series is this. Yahweh judges everyone, but he restores all who trust his appointed king, servant, and conqueror. And we will see here, especially in the beginning of Isaiah, God's judgment even on his own people. So we're in Isaiah chapter 5. If you have one of these Bibles, it's on page 329. This morning we'll talk about a fruitless vineyard. Six woes for that vineyard. A foreign threat and the true vine. You can follow along on your outline if that's helpful for you. So. Let me pray, and then we'll read the first seven verses. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. And we gather here this morning, Lord, sobered over our own sin. We pray that you reveal even greater depths of it to us this morning. Lord, show us how much we need Jesus. And I pray this morning, Lord, that we would not stay in our sin, but that we would come and delight in the mercy offered through Christ. I pray, God, that by the time we leave here, that we would be more in love with Jesus, more in awe of Jesus, and and, and more delighted to tell other people about him. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a fruitless vineyard. Let's read the first Seven verses. Isaiah chapter 5. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more 
was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So Isaiah starts out, verse one, singing on God's behalf. I will sing a a love song for my beloved, for God. And he, he sings about this vineyard that God makes and God cares for. Verse two, he digs the ground around and he clears it of stones. He plants the vineyard. He builds a watchtower for it and a wine vat to collect all the wine from the vineyard. Verse four, God says, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? In other words, I've done all that this vineyard needs and more. What else could I offer this vineyard? But what happens? Verse four. When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? It did not yield the fruit God wanted. And we see verse 7 that this vineyard is the house of, house of Israel. Verse 7, the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah. So this whole metaphor is specifically about the, the men of Judah. God's people. And they've done evil. Verse 7, God looked for justice, but instead of justice, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but instead of righteousness, an outcry. And the Hebrew for this would have been, it would have sounded better. It would have had sounds that played off one another. It might have sounded something like this. God looked for what was right, but behold, a riot. He looks for decency, but behold, despair. They have turned away from God, yielding not grapes of justice and righteousness, but grapes of bloodshed. And so God rightly responds. Verse verse five, he says, I tell you what I will do. I will break down its wall. I will make it a waste. Briars and thorns shall grow up. I will command the clouds that they withhold their rain. So in God's eyes, he he creates this vineyard. It doesn't do what he intends. And he brings he brings judgment. It'd be like if you had a dog and you trained this dog since it was a little puppy. You fed him, cared for him, cleaned up after him. And then one day he decides to change his mind about you. He decides to take a bite out of your hand. Or turn against your children and and harm them. So it's a little bit like that. God is dealing with with this rebellion. And we'll get more into the specifics exactly of what Judah is doing in the next point. But but know this for now. Judah has turned away and God is not pleased. 
And this shows us, it, it puts us in the right perspective because who created the vineyard? God. He planted it. And so if the vineyard does not turn out and do what God, the creator, wanted it to do, he is just to bring judgment. He is actually good to do this. In fact, he's he's exercising the very characteristics that his people aren't. He's exercising righteousness. He's exercising justice. The very characters, uh, characteristics that they've abandoned. So what does this mean for us? God's justice and his righteousness are good things. Even when exercised toward his people, it is good that God is a God who holds to being just. It is good that God is a God who holds to being righteous. If we turned away from God in bloodshed, and God pretended like he didn't see it. Where would God's goodness be? Where would his righteousness be? Where would his character be? So let's, let's get more into the details. So the vineyard is fruitless. What makes it fruitless? Let's look at six woes for this vineyard. It'll, it'll paint a fuller picture of what Judah has done. So... A woe, it's, it's simply a curse. It's the opposite of a blessing. And God has six woes for this people. Let's read verses 8 through 25. Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field until there is no more room, and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. The Lord of hosts has sworn in my hearing, Surely many houses shall be desolate, large and beautiful houses without inhabitant. For ten acres of vineyard shall yield but one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield but an ephah. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp and tambourine and flute and wine at their feasts, but they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the works of his hands. Therefore, my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Their honored men go hungry and their multitude is parched with thirst. Therefore, Sheol has enlarged its appetite and opened its mouth beyond measure. And the nobility of Jerusalem and her multitude will go down, her revelers and he who exalts in her. Man is humbled, and each one is brought low, and the eyes of the haughty are brought low. But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. Then shall the lambs graze as in their pasture, and nomads shall eat among the ruins of the rich. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who let who draw sin as with cart ropes, who say, let him be quick, let him speed his work that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and let it come that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil 
good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men and mixing strong drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble, and as dry grass sinks down in the flame, so their root will be as rottenness, and their blossom go up like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts, and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against His people, and He stretched out His hand against them and struck them. And the mountains quaked, and their corpses were as refuse in the midst of the streets. For all this, His anger has not turned away, and His hand is stretched out still. So the first woe is the woe to those who are greedy. Woe to those, in verse 8, who join house to house, add field to field, until there is no more room. And what's happening in the context is Judah is being greedy. They are disregarding God's word in Leviticus 25, which requires land to remain within the family. And instead of that, they're saying, okay, this house will be mine, and so will this one, and let's add this house to this one. And it is evicting especially the poor and the weak from living in their houses. So it's a very selfish, greedy thing that that many in Judah are doing, and that's what God hates. That's why God is upset. They're using legal processes to defraud the poor, to boost themselves up, and to uh, yeah, evict the poor. How about you? Do you see Judah in yourself? Are you tempted to take more and more for yourself, even at the expense of other people? God says, woe. He pronounces woe to this greed. The second woe is the woe to those who are self-gratifying. Verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink. They have lyre and harp and wine and feasting, verse 12, but they do not regard the deeds of God or see the work of His hands. These men like their alcohol, that's clear. They have feast and music. But God is not on their minds. God was not invited to their party. They're reveling in this food and music, but not thinking on God, not meditating on His works. Woe to the person who loves parties, but who does not regard God. Woe to the person who loves the frats, but who sees God's work in church as boring. Woe to those who are self-gratifying. Third woe we see is a woe to those who hold on to their sin. Verse 18, 
Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood and draw sin as with cart ropes. And the imagery here is you're holding on to this, this falsehood, but eventually it becomes this cart rope that's attached to your body and you, you carry this or drag this cart behind you that's full of sin. It's like they're animals pulling their sin behind them. Come on, sin. Stick with me. I'm going to hold on to you so that we'll never be separated. Are you tempted in this way? Do you, do you hold on to sin patterns in life? Judah even does it to the extent that they taunt God. Verse 19, they say, let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near. Let it come near so that we may see it. And you might say, okay, well, they're being genuine. They really want to... No. Read verse 18. Read verse 20. They are not genuine. They do not care about the counsel of the Holy One of Israel. Woe to this people who holds on to sin. The fourth woe is the woe to those who switch morality. Verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Judah is so blind at this point that their their perception of reality is swapped. Oh, there's some evil. That, that's good. Oh, there's some good. That's evil. They've taken what God loves and they've called it evil. They've taken what God calls evil and held it up as something to be prized and sought after. When I'm at a tailgate and the guy next to me nudges me and encourages me to check out a woman that we're not, you know, she has no idea we're we're looking at her. I'm tempted to call his evil good. His lusting good. When people stand up against abortion, especially on social media, do you kind of shrink back? I'm tempted to call that good evil. Standing up against abortion, it is a good thing, and I'm tempted to call that good fight evil because I'm afraid. Can you identify? Swapping, switching morality. Woe to this people. God says, woe to this people who switch morality. The fifth woe we see, verse 21, woe to those who don't need God's wisdom. Verse 21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. This people, they they have it all figured out. They know what's best. They have perfect wisdom. They insist they're autonomous. I don't need God's help. I'll figure it out myself. I'm wise in my own eyes. Maybe you've said this to yourself. I don't need to pray about this. I've got it. And instead of stopping to pray, even for a minute, to acknowledge your dependence on God, instead of doing that, just spear, you know, spearhead, keep going. You've got it. 
woe to this people who are wise in their own eyes. And the, the final woe we see, the sixth and final we see in verse 22 and 23, woe to those who are okay with corruption. 22 and 23, they are heroes at drinking wine, valiant men in mixing strong drink. They acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of what is right. These people, their heroism looks more like drunkenness than faithful soldiering. They choose bribery over what is right. Maybe today, when you see something that is wrong and somebody encourages you, hey, just keep this thing quiet. Are you tempted to to just go along with it and let it go? Overlook the wrong. Judah knew what they were doing was wrong by forcing these innocent people out of their houses and evicting them so that they could they could have more. But they were they were okay with this corruption. They were complacent with it. Woe to this people, God says. Woe. And these these six together they they paint us a fuller picture of what Judah is like in this day. This is the vineyard that God set up for blessing and for good and it has turned out like this instead of yielding rightly it has yielded sinfully and these these matter because they they again they show us what God's perspective is like you can initially hear God's verse or, or, or claim in verse 6 as harsh. He says, I will make this vineyard a waste. I will tear down its wall. God, isn't that a little harsh? God, aren't you being a little unreasonable? But the answer to that is no. Think about all of the evils that I just walked through. That is the, the picture of the full sin of Judah. And God, in his goodness, he is pronouncing judgment on that sin. He's actually good to call evil, evil. So what does this mean for us? Can you relate to Judah? How about the greed, the self-gratifying, holding on to sin, redefining morality, being wise in your own eyes, letting corruption fester? These are great evils, and God is not okay with God brings judgment on this this evil. And so if you if you identify with Judah, my encouragement to you this morning is to wake up. Call sin sin, call evil evil. And my second application for you is to keep listening. It's dark right now. Yes, it's dark, but keep listening to this sermon. So there are consequences in in those verses that I just read. I'm not even going to walk through the consequences, but the consequences themselves, they are really dark too. Verse 13, God sends or he promises to send his people into exile for this. Verse 14, God swallows his people in Sheol. 
the grave. Verse 24, God exposes their rotten roots. Verse 25, God stretches out his hand and he strikes his own people with an earthquake. This reveals to you how serious this is. And then, what is it? Verse 25, if you're not scared enough, verse 25, for all this, his anger has not turned away. And his hand is stretched out still against his people. And now we're going we're gonna to move to the, the last part of the chapter. We're going to talk about a foreign threat that God is going to bring up against his people. Verses 26 through 30. Let's read those. He will raise a signal for nations far away and whistle for them from the ends of the earth. And behold, quickly, speedily they come. None is weary, none stumbles, none slumbers or sleeps, not a waistband is loose, not a sandal strap broken. Their arrows are sharp, all their bows bent, their horses' hoofs seem like flint, and their wheels like the whirlwinds. Their roaring is like a lion, like young lions they roar. They growl and seize their prey, they carry it off, and none can rescue They will growl over it on that day like the growling of the sea. And if one looks to the land, behold, darkness and distress. And the light is darkened by its clouds. So a foreign threat. Finally, we see God summon a foreign nation against his people. He whistles for them. Did you catch that? Verse 26. And this is likely Assyria. Assyria is painted as the main nation of judgment in the first 39 chapters of this book. And so God whistles. Assyria comes with its fierce army. And we get a picture of that. Right? Verse 27. This this army, they are not weary. They don't stumble. Verse 28. Their arrows are sharp. Their bows bent and ready Verse 29, they roar like a lion, a fierce lion that growls and seizes its prey. This is a scary thing. Imagine being in Africa. You're out on open ground. If you lock eyes with a lion and he determines your lunch, you can't do anything about it. He's coming. And likewise, God is bringing this unstoppable force to wake Judah up to its sin. Verse 30, this growling lion, it turns into the growling of the sea. And the sailor, in the midst of this growling sea, he looks maybe in hope to the land. Oh, maybe it'll be peaceful over there. No, verse 30, even there it is full of darkness and distress. There is no hope. This force is coming. All summoned by God's mere whistle. This makes clear that God is more powerful than the fiercest army. All he needs to do is whistle and Assyria comes running unhindered. Judah must be awakened to its evil. And Isaiah himself will will come and talk to this people. He will be sent in the next chapter that we'll, we'll read about next week. 
But Isaiah is not the ultimate rescuer that Judah needs. Isaiah will, will fall short. And so, what does this mean for us 2018? Centuries later. Well, if you've identified with Judah, if you've said in your heart, yes, I, I am greedy, I uh, am self-gratifying, etc. There is real true hope. You know, the sailor who looked to the land and there was no hope? There is hope for us. Even in the midst of our sin. Hope that Judah had hints and flavorings of, but never really saw in the flesh. 700 years after Isaiah, Jesus Christ, he comes to earth and he walks and he says, I am the true vine. And my father, he is the vine dresser. Judah was a fruitless vine. You and I, we are fruitless vines, but Jesus, he's the true vine. And God treated us well. He built us a watchtower and a wine that he set us up for success, but we we made a muck of things. So we spurned his word. We provoked him to righteous anger. But Jesus, the true vine, where we yielded wild grapes, not intended by our great God, Jesus yielded perfect grapes of righteousness, perfect grapes of holiness and justice. And though Jesus, though the true vine yielded these perfect fruits, he was killed. He was murdered. The father brought this judgment on Jesus. He brought figurative lions and seas and armies on Jesus Christ. All so that we could be the renewed vine. All so that we could say with Jesus, You have made me like the true vine. A vine pleasing to the vine dresser, yielding perfect grapes. Praise God for Jesus Christ. He has turned us from a fruitless vineyard into the true vine. So, as we wrap up, yes, Yahweh brings judgment on his people when they despise his word. But for everybody who hopes in Jesus, in Jesus, God's appointed king, God's appointed servant, God's appointed conqueror. There is hope. He restores all who look to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. We went astray. We uh, proved, Lord, to be a fruitless vine. And instead of bringing judgment on us, God, you chose to give mercy. You chose to send the true vine to take the punishment that we deserve. Father, thank you for the mercy of Jesus Christ. Lord, teach us uh, to delight in him more today. In Jesus' name, amen.